And hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM out of Toronto, Ontario, and on the Big Talker Network. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, phoning it in from uh, the beautiful Piedmont region of North Carolina, and I'm joined as always by my colleague, David Clement, who's a bit down with the man flu at the moment. David, sir, how goes it? Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm surviving. Um... Yeah, after, uh, I guess, two and a half years, it finally got me. Um, but I'm doing okay. I feel all right. I'll be uh, back on the men soon. So, um, yeah, lots to talk about this week. I mean, uh, if you were on Twitter. Well, first off, I want, let's, do, let's do a little bit of um, the language game is always interesting in politics. Mm, and it's something mm. that w- we have to deal with in our day-to-day work um, over there at consumerchoicecenter.org. You guys can find out all the great campaigns that we're doing globally with all of our colleagues. Um, and it's uh, we'll, we'll hone in on what's happening in D.C. right now. It is a big moment uh, in terms of big legislative things because it's the end of the session. Everybody's got to go back to their home districts. Yep. A lot of people are up for re-election, so they got to go you know, raise money, shake hands, kiss babies, all of that. Uh, but David, we've got the Inflation Reduction Act, <laughs> which uh, does nothing to reduce inflation at all and uh, essentially has nothing to do with it except creating more. So there's a one-page summary here that's um, – I'm just pulling this directly from the Democrats.Senate.gov, <laughs> so I'm giving them a lot more uh, – <clears throat> a lot more credit than I probably should. Um, so this is essentially how they state it is. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 will make a historic down payment on deficit reduction to fight inflation, invest in domestic energy production and manufacturing, and reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2030. The bill will also finally allow Medicare to negotiate for prescription drug prices and extend the expanded Affordable Care Act program for three years until 2025. So this entire plan is uh, $433 billion, which is a chip on the shoulder these days. And mostly, most of the money actually has to do with climate change stuff. Yeah, it kind of it seems like they took the... The issue of the day being inflation, and they just kind of jammed in all the, all the climate stuff as a way to get it passed. Um, I don't know. I don't really like. Uh, I don't know if I see this as being anything that's going to calm inflation. I mean, we see nothing here in terms of like increasing productivity or, let's say, increasing free trade or lowering tariffs. Um, to try and bring down prices because um, there are tools that the government can use beyond monetary policy things that like help make things cheaper. Um, well, this ain't going to make things cheaper. If I'm reading through more of the uh, summary here, number one is lower consumer energy costs. And I know, David, you're scratching your head. You're asking yourself, how are they going to do this? $9 billion in consumer home energy rebate programs. So that's just more uh, cash. Pay it. That's a problem. We'll pay you to upgrade. We're, we're going to pay you to upgrade your fridge, or uh, you know, get some pop on some solar panels. We're going to give you some more tax credits. Um, so if you get some heat pumps, you get more of that rooftop solar. Uh, you get some water heaters. We're going to give, give you more money. We're going to give you more. We're going to give you a four thousand dollar consumer tax credit for lower slash middle income individuals to buy used clean vehicles. <laughs> I used to work at the car wash. I can get you plenty of those. 
and up to a $7,500 tax credit to buy new clean vehicles. So electric is just clean, according to this legislation. It's just we've we've made the jump. Uh, it's just called a clean car now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think giving people more cash is the, like, I, that. that is not going to help. Um, that is not going to help the the problem of inflation. Um, yeah, I and energy energy's big, right? Canada has many issues. Can't yeah. get their stuff to market. Can't export. What does the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act do for energy? Well, it gives production tax credits to accelerate U.S. manufacturing of solar panels, thirty billion dollars. <laughs> Solyndra, uh, $10 billion tax credit to build clean technology manufacturing facilities. Um, so does that mean $10 billion to Elon Musk? No, of course not. It'll go to Ford or something. Yeah. Uh, $500 million for heat pumps, <laughs> critical minerals. Pro- like absolutely nothing about oil and gas, nothing about any energy we actually use today or that makes up a good amount. And there's a lot, a lot of talk here about decarbonizing, environmental justice, Block grants, three, four billion dollars a pop. Uh, yeah, it's as you stated, David. This will do nothing to reduce inflation. It will do everything to reward uh, democratic constituencies. You guys have been good boys and girls. So uh, here we're going to hand out a couple of billion dollars. Yeah, it's if if now is the time to start the uh, the clean car consulting company, David. I think it, it is now. Yes. Yeah. There's probably a lot of money to be made between that and all the ESG stuff. It's like, okay, how, how do we rig the rigged game to make more money? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's very depressing. Um, I don't know if I have much more to add on inflation. I want to talk about, uh, Nancy Pelosi's trip to, to Taiwan. Pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We've got, um, top, uh, Top Guns, uh, Top yep. Bonanzas, I forget what the meme was. Uh, yeah, Nancy Pelosi taking a trip over to Taiwan, which is considered a, a sort of self-ruling, but not really, it really depends on who you talk to, country, yeah. state, protectorate, um, essentially an, an exclave of China, if you, if you speak to the people who might be in uh, Shanghai or Beijing. And uh, Nancy Pelosi makes an appearance. She shows up with the military jets, meets uh, some of the leaders, and, and obviously goes and check in uh, with all the semiconductor facilities and factories. Yep. And uh, this is um, for many people, and this is what's interesting, David, is to see the political coalitions. Um, a lot of people I saw being super critical because they say this will start the war. Well, I mean... With China. Taiwan is its own sovereign country they get to decide who they host that's the point um i feel like very very much so the the arguments that um that the chinese communist party make about taiwan kind of echo what putin says about ukraine um both of which if you ask ukrainians and or you ask the taiwanese um they are not part of Either Russia or Ukraine, or uh, Russia or China. Um, so I thought it was a good move. I mean, it just seems like they every time something like this happens, the, the Chinese Communist Party has a temper tantrum. They're like a kid in a grocery store who doesn't get doesn't get the candy bar that they want. It's like, and it's like clockwork every time they freak out. And um, I mean, I don't. I I obviously in retrospect. 
obviously the the oh she's going to start world war three those concerns were um un, unfounded that did not happen um things escalated a little bit um but I, it is important like i mean we we are on board or for the most part the u.s is on board in terms of helping uh ukraine defeat the orcs as they say on twitter the russian invaders um i mean it's anyone who follows what's going on um between china and, and taiwan knows that that's probably the next one uh given how vocal the communist party of china has has talked about uh invading taiwan and so i i think it's i think it's a, it was a smart move um it hopefully solidifies that the Taiwanese would have U.S. support if um, if things were to hit the fan. Um, yeah. I mean, my favorite theory was that Nancy Pelosi was flying in to check in on her stocks and her yeah. positions, but uh, definitely true. And, and what's interesting about Taiwan, and um, we'll actually try to get our colleague Simon Lee, who's uh, from Hong Kong and is, is doing some work right now in Taiwan, and he is our Taiwan fellow at Consumer Choice Center. Yes. I know he's been very vociferous. I'll actually link to his Substack because it's very good. He does a lot of great analysis on this stuff. Uh, but actually, it was the Japanese that colonized Taiwan, that had control of it for a pretty long time, really pretty much since the, like, I think early 1900s, right up until the end of the Second World War. Uh, you know, had China trying to claim it back. But the people there actually have their own democratic uprising. You know, whatever they tried yeah. to do in Tiananmen Square, you know, they did in Taiwan. They've, they have elections. Um, a, a colleague of ours or a friend of ours that we know, a British fellow, wrote a, a piece in Conservative Home a couple years ago that I just read. Uh, he talked about going there during election time. And, you know, there's all kinds of sirens and posters and yelling and rallies. And it's like, you won't see any of this in China. <laughs> so, yeah, no. totally different. And uh, we do know that the Chinese did fire a couple of missiles into the ocean. Um, I guess that's their own Inflation Reduction Act stuff that they're trying to do, <laughs> just, which is waste military gear so they could build more. Uh, but the, yeah, it's definitely a concern. And, you know, I don't know. I It's just, it's crazy to think, because I, I do know that Nancy Pelosi has been big on the Chinese-Taiwan question for a long time, which yeah. is interesting because A, she's like the third most powerful person in the government in the U.S. Uh, second, she represents San Francisco, which is, you know, there's a lot of Chinese community there. So perhaps it's a lot of the expats that she's sort of, you know, flying their banner. Or perhaps it is a true commitment to, to human rights and to sovereignty. I don't know. Because there's so much other time that we spend vilifying Nancy Pelosi for terrible policies that you know sometimes you do gotta give a clap you know it's the it's the onion yeah, article I mean, she's good the on this. you hate the most just yeah. made a great point yep yeah she's that meme of that guy's face <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> Where it's yeah, like yeah. the person you like the least is right uh no but she's good on this she's she's very good um yeah and that brings I me mean, to the, the thing i wanted to, to talk about with you is you know we are in currently in liberal democracies canada u.s whatever it might be europe and we have a few opportunities to do stuff as consumers. And one thing that has been uh, shared about, you know, either as a policy is to try to do, you know, a general boycott on Chinese companies, Chinese goods, or to prevent Chinese companies from getting any kind of state contracts. 
So this is a big yeah. push throughout the U.S. Um, I know that the rather hawkish elements within the conservative party in Canada are pushing for the same. I'm just, I don't know, I'm curious about this because we are living in the era of sanctions on Russia, the oligarchs. And I think with a, a Chinese-type sanction thing, it's it's hard because these guys are slippery. Everything is like under this one party, one government, you know, behemoth. And there's a lot yeah. of stuff that we still manufacture there. So how do you balance that? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there's a strategic element to it in terms of like, let's say software or hardware or stuff in the electronics and computer side of things where like strategically dependence there is probably not good. If we're talking about like, I don't know what the proper word is, but like ordinary goods, like paper, I don't know, (laughs) the things you buy at the dollar store. uh, That's like, I I don't see a lot of value in like trying to limit trade on on those items. I could see the justification for things. I mean, it's like the Huawei debate in Canada. It's like, should they have access to the 5G network? And it's like, well, if they were just another ordinary international company, the answer would be yes, but um, they aren't. And anyone who fails to see that is just kind of operating in a false reality uh, in terms of Huawei's ties with the the Communist Party and, and what legal obligations they have to the Communist Party. And, and then you remember that this is the government that is committing what many would call a genocide against a religious minority with the Uyghurs. And so uh, I think when it's framed that way, it becomes pretty clear, like, okay, how do we distance ourselves from empowering that genocidal regime from continuing to do what it's doing? And the same thing with Russia. I mean, there's a difference between uh, saying we're not going to buy Russian vodka anymore, which is trivial and more symbolic, and then not buying Russian gas, which actually directly feeds the war machine and helps them generate revenue to to keep fighting and invading Ukraine. So, um, like anything, there's nuance, but you you miss most of that on twist on Twitter, of course. And and everything is so interconnected. I mean, I just think of one example. Um, Epic Games is sort of a, a video game company, software developer, publisher. Uh, people use that as a store, based in North Carolina, but Tencent. A you know, big Chinese company, they bought, you know, fifty uh, percent. So, yeah. all kinds of interconnectedness. Uh, we'll talk about that more after the break. Stay here, Consumer Choice Radio, and welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga nine sixty AM, the Big Talker Network, and right there on your podcast app. David and I were catching up on everything related to uh, the Chinese Communist Party, to sanctions, to the pretty much the notion that consumers have some voice and buying products, boycotting products. And uh, David, the example that I, I mentioned before, just to show how interconnected all this is, um, the company Epic Games that I mentioned, uh, based just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, they took a huge uh, funding deal from the company Tencent, which is like one of the large you know, Chinese conglomerates. Uh, they essentially own 50%. And, you know, this is like one of the most used video game platforms uh, pretty much everywhere. And, you know, you have a company like Tencent, which 
is a huge company, no doubt. I mean, we're, we're talking, I don't know, $90 billion in revenue, something like this. Uh, huge company. They have a lot of ownership in different things. I mean, just to name a few, we've got Discord, Ubisoft. Uh, these are all percentages, right? Riot Games, uh, 100% ownership now. <laughs> a lot of video game stuff. Um, obviously, you have, I mean, they own, um, do they own Weibo? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They might. I believe WeChat. WeChat, yeah, WeChat yeah, is yeah. their big thing. I don't know. Weibo is like the Chinese Twitter. I don't know if they own that, but they definitely do own WeChat, which um, actually is an interesting app uh, in terms of the functionality. Like it does 80,000 times more things than WhatsApp or Signal. Okay. But what, you know, what, what do we do when we have all of this Chinese funding and, oh, God, God forbid you watch a movie nowadays? Um, do you know how many of these are funded by Chinese studios and... The Chinese studios are mandating that certain things be mentioned, not mentioned. Yeah, I mean to mention the the Top Gun reference. I was just going to say the Taiwan that. flag on Tom Cruise's jacket. I mean, this it's really deep at this point. But they, I will give it. I, I mean, my understanding is that the Top Gun folks said no. They said no. We're not gonna. We're not gonna change the movie. We're not gonna edit this out. Um, which is I didn't a rare. See it yet, so you can tell me. Uh, I haven't seen it yet either. I just saw the headlines that they said they declined and said, no, we're not going to change um, the movie at all, which is really interesting because there are examples of so many movies where, like in some movie, in some cases, the entire plot of the movie is changed and edited um, so that it can air in China. And it's just a completely different movie. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, it's good to finally see someone push back on that. Um, but it is. I watched this I mean, movie I, recently. I watched it on the plane, by the way. Um, it has to do with the moon, and and the reason I bring it up is obviously it was funded by some one of the Chinese studios. Is I, it the I one where the moon starts the like top. collapsing the, into the earth? Yes. Is it any good? Yes. I saw the preview for it, you, and I was like, eh, I don't know. Well, any conspiracies you've heard about the moon are explored in this, and proven <laughs> that's all okay. i'll say but it's <laughs> nice. very interesting and what's so funny is and i was because i was very attuned to this because i've watched you know a couple other a lot of space movies right now with yeah. the Chinese. so um you know there's a global catastrophe you know there's an apocalypse coming everything's about to die and they have to take a good two to three minutes to be like the chinese have just been doing a great job on their side <laughs> doing this and that and they're really helping us out and then you, you'll have one character who is like the nanny who's teaching Mandarin, you know? So it's always interwoven into the narrative, which, you know, if you're into the whole Hollywood far left brainwashing thing is kind of the game. and <laughs> They're doing a very good job. I mean, what's hilarious there is because if, if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's that China is going to be an honest broker and how they deal with the rest of the world. <laughs> When facing a global crisis, they're definitely going to come on side and play ball. Um, <laughs> it's probably just... Oh, it's called Moonfall, by the way. Moonfall. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's the one I saw, the preview for that. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it has become one of the largest box office bombs of all time, grossing only $59 million worldwide against a budget of $150 million. Oh, Ouch. ouch. That is tough. 
I mean, it's probably, I don't know. I, I wonder if that is just because the movie sucks or because it's a COVID movie and the release dates and all that stuff are complicated. I don't know. I know that. I mean, how many times did the Top Gun movie get pushed back just for its ability to play in theaters? Yeah, and I, I know there was this huge lawsuit, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Um, yeah. I didn't watch the movie. I forget what it's called. Black Widow? Is that it? One of the Marvel movies. Where the deal was... Yeah, I, I, I'm not into that, which like means I'm also not able to understand about 65% of internet memes if you're not in yeah. the Marvel VDC thing. <laughs> uh, but she had this lawsuit against Disney because they promised that she would get a cut of box office sales, but then they went direct to streaming... And yeah, so all kind of, everything ends up in the courts is is basically the lesson there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, saw yeah that. Let's I let's focus um let's focus up north, David. Uh, there's been a couple of um of debates recently amongst the uh, Canadian leaders. I didn't watch it. It seemed Pierre Poilievre was not there because he was kind yeah, of protesting. Yeah, he didn't participate. There was another debate. What's what's going on? Well, the last debate was a joke. Um, it was very poorly run. It was like kind of hokey and or weird sound effects, and they were questions about, like, it wasn't really policy-focused, um, and so a lot of people thought it was a joke, and the ballots have already been mailed, and ballots are already been mailed, some have been already mailed back, um, and so Pierre and and Lewis's objection was, well, we can better spend our time on the campaign trail rather than participating in another hokey debate. Um, so they, they did not participate, uh, and Sheree made a big stink about it, basically that Pierre didn't show up, but at the same time, I actually think that ironically, like the idea from, at least from what I could see from the Sheree campaign was that this was going to be their moment to like really hammer Pierre for not showing up, but it opened the charade camp up because he's now been questioned several times and he refuses to answer is what is he going to do if he loses? Is he still going to run and be part of the party? Uh, or is he going to take his ball and go home? And he won't answer the question, which insinuates that he has no interest in sticking around um, if he doesn't win. And, I, I mean, I, that rubs me the wrong way. I think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Like, Surely, if you want to be the leader of the party, you also want to contribute to its success if you're not the leader of the party. Um, but then again, maybe he can just go back to the private sector and get that Huawei money. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It all comes back to that. Uh, I think there was, there was some similar uh, rumblings when Bernie Sanders ran. You know, he said, well, you, you know, we, if you drop out, will you support your opponent or whoever the eventual do Democratic nominee is? And you heard that during the Trump time. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You, you'd think that, you know, in the in the Canadian example, that wouldn't even be a question because, like, what else are these guys going to do? You know, is are they going to all of a sudden endorse Trudeau or go to the NDP or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have no time to start another independent conservative party like we've already been down that road no no i mean and i think the talks of that are really overblown i, I someone posted on twitter and i think that this was actually like a, a pretty good um a pretty good explanation of like where the 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 candidates fit on the political spectrum pierre 
despite his rhetoric, is actually the centrist candidate amongst the leadership candidates. Um, I mean, he's heated in his rhetoric, but if you were to place him, he would be to the right of Charest, um, but he would be to the left of Lewis and, and Roman, Roman Baber, certainly to the left of Lewis, because um, he's not a social conservative in the same way that she is, and she panders to all sorts of crazy nonsense. Um, so I have to say, I, I have to give a shout out to the uh, Baber campaign, by the way. Um, they're just absolutely hitting the great resetter contingent. Uh, oh, yeah, he's email all I got. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you the last three. Optimism. This is the subject. Optimism. Firearms. I'm not <sighs> eating critic crickets. <laughs> it, honestly, it's... It, it's the same thing with with Lewis. Their their inclination is to respond to like the craziest stuff you see on Twitter. Like there were headlines that a, that a handful of Canadian doctors, I think there were five of them, um, passed away uh, in air quotes suddenly over the last few weeks. And Lewis, I mean, the in the in the crazy lunatic crowd, it's like, oh, it's because of the vaccine. And Lewis is playing to this being like, well, what really happened? Like, I'm just asking questions. And then I forget who the journalist was. It was like, well, I mean, if you took four minutes to look into it, like three of them had stage four cancer. Um, one of them passed away suddenly. And then like three of the, the remaining four, like were already like at the end of the road. Um, and it's like who either these are her instincts and that is a problem for someone who wants to lead the official opposition. Or she just has terrible people um, in her camp who who truly think that, like, this is the type of stuff that she needs to pander to. And it's like, come on. Um, it, All right, is... I like this game. Let's let's go through the, the recent fundraising. So I'm on the conservative list, obviously, so I get all of these fundraising emails. Let's go through the latest ones that she has. Oh, boy. Family as the cornerstone. Only you will decide. Your tax dollars are paying for hate. The future of our party. And then lastly, but most importantly, crickets? Where's the beef? Yeah, and the crickets thing. <laughs> it's like someone, there was like a product on the shelves that was made from cricket protein, and it made the rounds being like, oh, this is the future the liberals want. You're not going to eat meat. You're going to eat crickets. And it's like... This well, is... I'll I'll give them this. It is a big meme, you know that the the World Economic Forum wants you to eat bugs. Yeah, <laughs> they want you to. They want to stop the farming. They want to eliminate the farms, reduce the nitrogen, you know, emitting farms, get everybody on bugs, which has been a meme for a long time. I I just think it's funny that it's used as a political. To me, it just like hits my conser my uh, not my conservative my conspiracy bone a little bit yeah, too well, hard. <laughs> yeah, but it's like. Come on, guys! Like these are these are obscure, like very obscure. Like I just think about like our parents' generation. I view, I, I envision like my mom or dad reading that and being like, "What the heck are they talking about? What is this?" Like just com like just completely divorced from like the reality of normal people who don't spend eighteen hours a day on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's a and, very online uh, crowd is what they're pushing. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it's just wild times, but, um, 
It is wild times, and uh, you know we're going to have some more wild times because we're you know race still ain't over. We will only have the results. It's going to be interesting. We have both uh, the conservatives in the UK will finalize their leadership yes. campaign in September, and Canadians as well. I think it'd be great if they got together, held hands, and said, "All right, can Zuck all the way." Uh, Actually, that would <laughs> the Australian be really conservatives cool. are out of power right now, and New Zealand ain't going to do it. But to get the UK and Canada together like that would be kind of interesting. That would be really good. Uh, I'd love to that's, see that. Imagine like a that's Liz... That's free advice, by the way. Yeah, a Liz <laughs> Truss, Pierre Polyev um, joint venture where they uh, commit to the free movement of goods and labor. That would be fantastic. Um, I would be all on board. And it would be just it, great to watch the liberals try and undermine that endeavor um, because they would just be caught in they, the mental gymnastics they would have to do to oppose that would just be so rich. It would be rich. And I, I don't know, I, I would be excited by that. And I think, um, you know, we've even talked about it with some of our colleagues and it's like, Oh, you know, most people are concerned about inflation domestically. It's like, well, what's better than free trade? Yeah. I mean, it actually is the thing that can save you in these moments. Uh, you know, we just got to make sure that the ships can run the, the trucks can go and uh, the trains can continue to chug on. But yeah, there's all kinds of different stuff that's happening. So yeah, that's it, David. Uh, we're going to pivot to an interview now. We've got uh, Paul Jossie coming on. He is a principal attorney at Jossie PLLC. Uh, he's a, actually one of the few uh, crypto attorneys who understands a bit about the cryptocurrency market. We're going to talk to him about his recent paper at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, where he's an adjunct fellow. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So you guys tune in for that. Uh, David, uh, let's chat next week. Let's do it again. I'll be back in Europe, though. Yep. Yeah, talk to you. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting on Saga 960 AM and on the Big Talker Network and right there on your podcast player via Podcasting 2.0. Send your sats now. Uh, we're speaking with Paul Josie, who's the adjunct fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, also a principal attorney at Jossie PLLC, uh, where he specializes in capital raising, also the crowdfundinglawyers.com, the crowdfundinglawyers.com. We have him here on the program because he's written an amazing article or paper, I would say, very uh, riddled with all kinds of information and, and great facts. It is a market approach to regulating stable coins, the futures money at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Yael. All right, so let's get into this. It was a, it was a great paper. There's a lot of great uh, points for regulators, um, which I, I believe is the principal audience here, not necessarily speaking just to the market makers. Uh, but, you know, why, what, if you could summarize it, why are stable coins? so important in the, the crypto future that we hope to have? Well, for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, you know, this, if you really stop and think about it, this, this whole industry actually did not exist five years ago. Actually, you know, crypto has been around since, since late 2008 with uh, Satoshi's white paper, but stable coins were barely a thing five years ago. And now they have exploded into a, a, a multi, multi-billion dollar uh, industry. They started out as a, a crypto trader convenience. That's what they still are for the most part, but they are starting to integrate themselves into the larger uh, financial world and, and, and financial institutions for benefits for people around the world. You look at any hotspot, 
choose any hot spot in the world right now, Ukraine, Hong Kong, Argentina, Venezuela, people are using these stable coins to maintain their, pur their purchasing power, to hold value for the things that they, that they have, and to not have their, their property rights and, and, and labor stripped away from them from arbitrary government enforcement actions. So, uh, so that's, that's what they are, and, and I think they have a bright future to become the internet's reserve currency, just as the US dollar is the, is the world's reserve currency right now. Okay. Yes, that's. Um, I think that's a that's a big big flag to plant. Obviously, uh, if you look on crypto world or you know Bitcoin, Twitter, everything else, um, I think they they would take issue with with the part that you mentioned in the paper about how important it is actually to have a strong U.S. dollar, a strong monetary system in the United States. And you say that by you know helping shepherd in stable coins in a certain way, we can actually guarantee that the U.S. dollar stays strong and that people in developing countries will also have access uh, to these digital currencies or a digital stablecoin that will help them safeguard their wealth. Is that about right? Yeah, so this is a sort of a new phenomenon that's coming that's coming about right now. It, it's been labeled crypto dollarization. Um, you know, if you look at how, how these, particularly Latin American countries, but other countries ar uh, around the world have, have outsourced their monetary policy basically from the bottom up because because their citizens just don't want to use the currency because their central banks are, have been so profligate inflation runs out the goes out the door of course that's becoming a problem for us too but um, uh, these stable coins these dollar peg uh, dollar peg stable coins have been a way for uh, for for people around the world that are in desperate situations to to hold their to hold their their uh, purchasing power and maintain some property rights um, in, in places where they're just not getting it from, from, their, from their government authorities. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, one thing that I found very interesting is, you know, I've, I've been messing around with stable coins a good amount, used them between the different chains and uh, tried to experiment a little bit. And I saw that uh, Circle, which does have the USDC coin, uh, they recently launched their Euro coin. Um, so I, I tried to you know, obviously the U.S. dollar version is on all the chains and people are able to, you know, hop in back and forth between Ethereum or whatever else. Uh, the euro one was only on Ethereum. So I tried to just pick up, you know, five euros. Let's see how this works. Uh, ended up with all the gas fees. I had to pay about 40. Uh, granted, wow. we are early. Uh, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, with the collapse of uh, Terra, um, Obviously, a lot of lawmakers are knocking on doors and trying to figure stuff out. Um, you do cite in the paper, though, that many of the existing frameworks that have been proposed are just not adequate or realistically give way too much discretion to a lot of the regulators. Could you explain that a little bit? Sure. Well, uh, the first thing about this Terra USD, I mean, this is the thing that Janet Yellen has jumped on and regulators have jumped on, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, um, uh, to... to see you know show that oh this is just so important that that we have to regulate these well you know what's missing here obviously is the distinction between an algorithmic stable stable coin and an asset backed stable coin um no one has cracked the code yet as of yet to how how these algorithmic stable coins that are, do not have assets um can sustain a a, a severe market downturn um the asset Asset-backed stablecoins are a completely different class. Um, they, most of the big ones, or I think all of the big ones now, 
um, they uh, have their their reserves audited. You can see on various schedules. You can see um, uh, you know what they have, what the composition of their reserves are, whether they're dollars or commercial paper or something a little bit more risky. Um, but but it is disingenuous, I would say, to to the extreme to have these regulators say because of this failure of Terra USD, which um, you know, all these venture capitalists bought into and lost a ton of money on, um, should be the uh, impetus for regulating these stable coins in a way that basically brings them completely into the uh, into the uh, existing fi regulatory financial system of the United States. Does not give them the uh, 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 the flexibility that they have now. And really, when you start bringing in all of these like anti-money laundering. Uh, uh, laws and reporting requirements, you really start losing a lot of the benefits here. Um, for, 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 for the people that I care about, honestly, like these political dissidents in Hong Kong who are, you know, uh, uh, fighting for their political lives um, against totalitarian regimes. So um, uh, all of this, all of this sort of comes down to, let's look at this from a free market approach. Let's look at this from an, an approach of you know, how are these things benefiting people around the world? And let's not ruin that by, by saying that, you know, there might be someone that launders $100,000 somewhere at some point. So we have to, um, you know, bring in the Bank Secrecy Act and, and, and all of this stuff that is, that is really just unnecessary at this point. Yeah, that's weighing the risk and rewards. Uh, apparently, politics, uh, we don't do that too often. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do like that point. I think it's it's something that uh, we've seen Alex Gladstein and Human Rights Foundation, they've effectively right. been able to push this message. Uh, they put together this letter as a response to the uh, Web3 technologists who are very concerned about uh, the crypto sector as a whole or uh, Bitcoin mining. You know, there's all different areas right. that are attack vectors on this sector. And I think one area that is has made this the, all the more complicated are existing bank regulations. Um, would you buy into the premise, um, this is something that, um, you know, Kevin O'Leary, big Shark Tank guy, uh, former Canadian, a conservative politician, actually, by the way, he almost became leader. Um, he, he makes the point that if stable coins are legalized, if we have a good regulatory regime, that will allow the institutions to buy in. And, you know, do we have number go up, you know, moon forever? Um, not sure, but it will legitimize the sector. Is that something that you would say is true? Well, first of all, on the Bitcoin mining, I have another paper coming out. I'd love to talk to you about that because that's a huge issue. And um, uh, uh, so I, I have definitely looked into that. And so, you know, let's talk again around Labor Day. But um, for uh, as far as the legitimacy of this, um, let's look at the numbers. This this whole industry did not exist five years ago and it has just exploded. So I don't think we need Kevin O'Leary or anyone else um, telling us uh, that 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 um, this is not a legitimate endeavor um, when it, when when the market has spoken on on this already. Uh, and and not only again, it's mostly crypto traders that want to use this to not have to go convert in and out of fiat. But um, but there are uh, many ancillary benefits to this that um, that that people are using. So, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the things is we, we need to, to bring this in. Uh, if we bring this in, we're going to uh, uh, sort of eliminate the competition. But what you're what you're actually doing is you're 
if what if what we do with the uh, with the President Biden's working group wants to do is simply bring all of this into financial institutions and make them all banks. So instead of um, having competition between banks and these crypto uh, uh, stablecoin issuers, you're going to make them all banks, and that's just going to eliminate competition. And it's going to be bad for consumers. Uh, that's a great argument, uh, specifically because. You know, the whole point that you make is we need to have a free market approach, one that allows the innovators to present their products. And if they fail, if they have an algorithm that doesn't pan out, uh, you know, they're not going to be uh, the, the go to stable coin on many of these different things. And one thing I wanted to bring up because I did email you about this are the money transmission licenses. Uh, which are very important, at least in the U.S. If you are a bank or financial institution, you need to essentially get um, a money transmitter license. Um, you've probably dealt with this a good amount. But um, one thing that you know we've kind of proposed with a few state lawmakers is to allow reciprocity. You know, very similar to how we have occupational licensing in a place like Arizona. You know, if you are a nurse, you can just show up in Arizona. You're fine. Your license is uh, viewed as valid. You don't have to do additional tests. Uh, we don't really have this necessarily throughout the U.S. And uh, you discussed the various proposals, uh, whether it be a federal license, whether it be you know a state license that will have various disclosures. Um, but ideally, simplifying this whole process so that the innovators can get their products and consumers can benefit from that. Yeah, well, as a lawyer, I'm 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 very familiar with the uh, with the different state rules and 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 what you can do in different states. But yeah, getting to your getting to your point about sort of you know how we should approach this. What my paper proposes is a, basically a three tier system from the issuer's choice, not not mandated or directed into any specific category. But if they want to have a, a, a federal license that preempts the state so they don't have to worry about that, which I think is probably the way, the way most of them would go, um, then they could do that. But uh, there, there have been advocates for sort of a federalism system where uh, different states are, uh, uh, where they go state by state, there has been a, a model sort of state money transmission law, um, uh, but but a lot of the states just haven't um, you know uh, bought into it and, and agreed to it. There's sort of negative externality issues there. Um, but if they want to do that, they should be able to do that. If they want to be a bank, if they want to be an OCC chartered bank, they should be able to do that. But you, we should not be forcing them into any one category. And, and we should, the more choice that they have, the more innovation they're going to be able to bring to the table and the better it's going to be for consumers. So that's that's sort of, at the, at the end of the day, that's my whole point of, of, of what we should do with this. There shouldn't be, it's not that there shouldn't be any guardrails. guardrails. We, sh, they, we should know for a dollar peg stable coin, do they have the assets that they say they have? Right. Um, and but but it's very easy to do that. You can just post it on your website, um, have a have a third party attest to it and post it on your website at, at, at different intervals and then let the market decide which ones are, are sort of are, are sort of best. I like die myself, which is, you know, uh, which is one really largely based on Ethereum It's not based on on um, on dollar bills. But all of these should be able to compete with each other in the way that best suits them for the market uh, niche that they're trying to gain. And of course, I, I could not have a lawyer on who knows a good amount about cryptocurrency without asking about the different designations. Uh, there's this kind of battle between whether uh, something specifically like Bitcoin or Ethereum are commodities or securities, and there's all types of lawsuits. Uh, I don't know if you're able to talk about that or whatever it might be, but uh, do you see that as, as just more, 
this is just making it more complicated. Uh, one reason I like your papers because it is a bottom-up approach, and it's something we can do now. We don't necessarily have to wait for the, the House and the Senate to you know, put something together over months and months. Uh, how do you kind of see that battle playing out? Well, um, yeah, obviously, this is a huge issue for what for what the future of crypto is going to bring. I am a you know, you can look at me and you will not uh, or you can look me up on the Internet and you will see that I am very, very critical of the United States approach right now, especially with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, the current chair has been an absolute disaster for crypto. He's been a, he's been a uh, uh, as as anti a crypto person as they could have possibly put in that position. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think really, you know, not to get into politics, but there's going to have to be some kind of political change so we can slow this down um, and, and, and sort of get some personnel changes in there. There are some good people at the SEC, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, so, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So, yeah, there, there's this battle going on between the SEC and the CFTC. Um, you know, it is absolutely insane for Gary Gensler to, to sit here and say that Ethereum, after all these years, might be a security, um, uh, you know, a, a, after it's grown uh, a, and, and has, has such importance in the in the uh, in the crypto ecosystem. Um, and, and basically the only one that they're kind of leaving alone right now is Bitcoin, because it's it is something where who, who are you going to sue? Right. So. Um, uh, yeah, I, there, this is a huge issue, um, and and it and it has to be addressed. And and you know, people like you and 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 people getting the word out about these regulators um, and uh, you know doing what they're doing is is absolutely uh, terrible for the economy. It's terrible for our future as Americans, uh, and 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 it's ter and it's good for you know people who want to control us. From the top down. Perfect. Paul Josie of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, his paper, A Market Approach to Regulating Stablecoin, the Future's Money. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.